2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why don't we experience victory in our life the way God intends for us to experience victory? The topic we're going to cover today is take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for an opportunity to meet together. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for worshiping in spirit and in truth. We need your help. You have taught us over these last few weeks important truths and the steps to victory. And Lord, I know that your people have tried their best to put these into practice. But Lord, we need your help once again as we come to this topic of taking every thought captive. I need your help as, uh, as I preach. I can't do this by myself. I don't have enough talent or enough knowledge. I need your spirit. I need your power. Forgive me of sin. Lord, empty me of self and fill me with your spirit. And Lord, if someone is here today and they have never been born again, they have heard of you, they may believe in you, but they've never given their heart to you for salvation. I pray that today would be that day. Help them to be honest with you and honest with themselves about their condition. Lord, I pray that you would bless our church. Lord, help us to feed on your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We've been going through the word victory. Each letter in the word victory has been a topic for us to cover so that we can live in victory. The first one, vigilantly guard against sin. The next one, imagine the consequences. The next one, cry out to God. We've actually done two lessons on cry out to God. The one today, take thoughts captive. And the next three, observe the omnipresence of God, run from sin and yield to the spirit. And that will be in the coming weeks. Recently read a book about D-Day, the big invasion of the Allied forces in World War II when they went to Normandy. And it's one of the biggest military movements in history. But the Germans or the Nazi German Germany 
had taken four years to build what they called the Atlantic Wall. It had a series of trenches. They had these enormous guns that were encapsulated in tons, literally tons and tons and tons of concrete. They had dug hundreds of kilometers of trenches. They had placed millions of mines and laid down thousands of kilometers of barbed wire. You think about all of the work that this took. Now, yes, they did have some power equipment to use, but a lot of it was done by hand. And it took four years for them to prepare to defend their position. Think about all of the time and all of the money and all of the sweat and all of the frustration and all of the supplies where they are constantly building up the defense for them to keep the victory in France. It was a colossal construction feat that had absorbed a large percentage of Germany's material, manpower, and building capacity in Western Europe, meaning it had taken a lot of sacrifice. History tells us And of course, on D-Day, they had different sections that they labeled with different names. One of these sections was called Utah Beach. The Atlantic Wall had held up the U.S. 4th Division, listen to this, for less than one hour. At Omaha Beach, it had held up the U.S. 29th and 1st Divisions for less than one day. At Gold, Juno, and Sword, It had held up the British 50th and the Canadian 3rd and the British 3rd Divisions for about an hour. Think about this just for a moment. This is real life. This is real history. You've got one nation that's defending what they took. They're trying to defend their victory. And they prepare for four years with enormous amounts of money and manpower going into this defense. And most of that was defeated in an hour. I want us to think just for a moment about our spiritual lives and the temptations that we face. We think about the history of the Bible. We read from Genesis, from from the very first couple of chapters of the Bible, God had planned to send his son to die on the cross for us. You've got the entire nation of Israel. You've got all the prophecies. You've got Jesus actually coming, living his sinless life, dying on the cross for our sin. You've got the history of the church 
where they have stayed strong against persecution. Millions of Christians over these 2,000 years have faced the very real threat of death. I recently read an account of a martyr during the first couple of centuries during the Roman Empire. And they were given chance after chance after chance after chance to just say the words, I don't believe in Christ. And yet they would not recant. Instead, they said, I believe in Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. In the Roman Empire, all that was needed for them to escape death was for them to stand before an idol, an image of a false god, in front of the government officials and just give a small bow. And their life would be spared. Millions of Christians stood strong. And they stood upright, refusing to bow, refusing to offer incense to save their life. Christians like that is the reason why we have Christianity today. Because if they would have bowed and many would have bowed, how would it have been passed on to us? You think about the history of the Bible being the very first book that was printed on Gutenberg's printing press. You think about the many people that have read the Bible. You think about everything God has done in your life to bring you to this place where you're sitting here today. And yet, it seems like in some ways, so often, it's like our story where there have been four years, so to speak, of preparation. All this preparation But when the time of temptation comes, we fall. So easy, we fall. Why do we fall? What happens? Why don't we have the victory? The Bible says in this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the question is victory over what? What is the victory that he's given us? Some people, if we're not careful, we will think that God has given us Victory over health. People want to interpret everything as if, well, Jesus' blood washes us from all of our infirmities. And so then we have victory over all of our health needs. And yet people who believe that have eventually gotten sick and died. Some people want to say, well, it's mental health. If you believe in Jesus, then every little thing that's bothering you, whether it's medical or something from your past or whatever it may be, you'll never struggle with it ever again. And then people want it to be this this magical pill. And yet some people might believe this in their mind. They know it's the truth. And yet they really don't experience it. 
because they don't know what it is and they don't know how to live it out. Some people have given up. They're, they're a believer. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe the Bible is the word of God. But they've gone over into self-help. I'm going to read all of the self-help books. And I'm going to just help myself. Some people, in order to experience victory, they make their lives very, very small. They work from home. They stay at home. They don't interact with anyone. They think that's the path to victory. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, and let's look at verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, meaning we have bodies that God has given us. We are made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. We need to remember that God has given us all three of those things. And he's teaching us in order to have spiritual victory, we need to use spiritual methods. In order to have a bodily victory, we need to use bodily methods. For example, if someone is drinking contaminated water, we don't just need to pray. <laughs> we need to filter the water. Does that make sense? How many of you ever drank contaminated water? Bad water. You gotten sick from bad water. My hand is up. Oh my goodness. It is not fun. Right? Well, brother, we need to pray. Well, we do need to pray, but what we really need to do is we need to filter that water. Is that true? Are we on the same page this morning? For sure. So we need to understand that when we're approaching spiritual victory, we need to, we need to make sure that we don't make everything spiritual. Everything is not necessarily spiritual. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Jesus gave us the victory over sin, death, and hell. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, which 1 Corinthians 15, 57 is here for us to see. But we can look at a few other verses. It says here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, in order to have victory in our lives, we have to make sure that we are looking at Scripture the way it's supposed to be looked at. We cannot take a verse, look at, look, look at me, listen. We cannot take a verse that says, thanks be to God which, all, which giveth, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and say, well, that's for my sports team. This is my verse for my favorite basketball team. 
And because we believe in Jesus and Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he's going to give us the victory this season. That's not what that verse is for. Right? He's talking about giving us victory over sin. When we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, he's given us victory over death, meaning when we die, where, where does our spirit then go? If we've trusted Christ, our spirit goes to heaven, so therein he's given us the victory over death. He's given us victory over the grave. We're not going to stay in the grave. Our bodies are going to be resurrected. We're going to go to heaven. But in this life, he's also given us victory over sin. So where's the battleground? What are we battling? It says in our verse in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We fall in temptation to sin because of our thoughts. Let me say that again. We fall in temptation to sin because of our thoughts. People think this. I deserve this. They fall into temptation. Something bad happens. They feel guilty. They begin to think, I deserve this. They think, I will never get victory. They think, I will never overcome this sin. Or maybe they think, this sin isn't that bad. Some people say, everyone does this sin. Some people begin to convince themselves, this isn't even a sin. Some people say, the only person I can really trust is myself. Meaning they're not trusting God, they're just going to trust themselves. Some people's minds are filled with accusatory thoughts. They're always accusing someone else. Sometimes they're accusing themselves. Or sometimes they're always accusing someone else. Filled with thoughts of negativity. Filled with thoughts of anger. Angry self-talk. Why is there still a battleground for the Christian? You say, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Why do I still struggle if God says he's given us the victory? He's given us the victory, but he's given us the tools. He's given us the victory. He's given us the assurance that we're going to heaven when we die. But he's given us the tools for us to be able to clean our minds so that we can mature in Christ, so that we can grow in grace. He has given us the victory, but we have to use the tools that we've been given. So where is the battleground? The battleground is in our mind. The Bible says to take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. A stronghold is a lie that I tell myself. 
It's a lie that I say about myself. It's a lie I say about others. Or it's a lie that I say about God. But it's something that I believe and I've heard myself say that. Maybe someone else said it to us. But oftentimes it's something that I've told myself so often it actually feels like the truth. I deserve this. Well, that's not what God says. Are we listening this morning? Are we good? Well, Pastor, I feel like a failure. I keep failing in this area. Sometimes we think, well, I've always done that. Or I I grew up in a home where my dad did that or my mom did that. And we told ourselves, there's nothing that can be done. I'm stuck. This is just the way I am. There are actually some churches out there that don't even want to talk about victory over sin. They just want to talk about the love of God and God loves you anyway, which is true. God does love you anyway. But he also wants you to live in victory. He doesn't want you to live under the chains of sin because when we sin, it makes our life worse. It doesn't make it better. It comes between us and our relationship with God. When we pray, God's not answering our prayers. God disciplines us on purpose and stops our prayers from being answered when we live in sin. Is that true? That's true. When when we sin, it affects our relationships with one another. For example... If I lie to my wife, that means that that affects my relationship with God. But it also affects my relationship with my wife. Especially if I get caught. And especially if I try to lie again. Okay? Now, we can say something as small as having a negative attitude. Can we say Christians are not supposed to have negative attitudes? We, we don't have to pretend like everything is glorious, but God promises to give us the spirit of love and joy and peace and long suffering, the fruit of the spirit. We don't have to look on everything with this negative attitude. We don't have to look at everything with this spirit of doubt, skeptical. God's not given us the spirit of skepticism. God's given us the spirit of love. That's what he's given us. God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The victory is in the mind. It's up here. Now, in the self-help world, they'll give you all kinds of mental tactics and exercises to go through in order to control your thinking. But here's the thing about sin. Sin is stronger than you are. Habits are stronger than you. And Satan, our enemy, is stronger than you. And when we have a weakness, he knows exactly what that is 
And he'll come after us every single time. Pastor, I don't know why I keep on doing this. I don't know why I keep on doing that. I don't know why I say those things. I don't know why I keep on whatever it is. It can be something that is really secret. Maybe to other people, it's a really small thing. To other people, or for, for, perhaps, for, perhaps for someone else, it's something that's quite, quite large. It's a big, big problem. Okay? So if we're going to win this battle, if we're going to get victory, it's primarily the battlefield of the mind. Amen. It's the battlefield of the mind. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he has given us the victory over sin. And that means that it's been broken. They say, and obviously I'm not in favor of this, so don't think that with this illustration. But when they uh, would use these massive elephants for work or for the circus or something like that, they would start out by putting this huge chain and this big shackle. Elephants are gigantic. I'll never forget when we lived in Nepal, coming around the corner on my motorcycle one time, and they had taken the elephant out of the zoo. I'm not kidding. And the elephant's walking down the street with the guy on top, the driver on top. And on his back had all these bamboo leaves. because that's And he was like, they were taking him out for lunch. And they were going to the bamboo place where you'd get bamboo, and they'd get all the bamboo, and he'd bring it back. And he's lumbering through the streets, this huge elephant, massive. But oftentimes when, when, when they would try to train an elephant, they're so big and they're so strong and they're so powerful. They would drive this big, long stake into the ground and they would take a huge chain and shackle it around one of the elephant's feet. And he couldn't get away. But what happened was he ended up being trained that when he felt that pressure on his foot, he knew he couldn't get away. And so over time, they would make the chain smaller and smaller and smaller. And so until in the end, he only had a very small chain, perhaps even a rope that was attached to his ankle. And whenever he would kind of lean over, he'd feel that tug. And he had so much power and strength to just pull away. He could easily get away. But when he felt that tug, he thought, oh, it's the same thing as that big giant chain and I can't get away. And friends, that's exactly what has happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Before Jesus, we had these huge, heavy shackles, these giant habits the way our brains were, 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 were taught from our past mistakes, sometimes from society, uh, guiding us into thinking a certain way, or perhaps a background or a parent or a culture or whatever it may have been. And we, and we live our lives a certain way and we have these habits and these temptations and, 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 and we think there's nothing I can do. And we've tried to get away before we were saved and nothing could be done. But then you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. You came to realize I'm a sinner and Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And, 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 and when he died on the cross for my sin, he won the victory over sin for us. And so when we accepted him, he gave us that victory 
But the thing is, is that once we accepted Christ as our savior, as some of the testimonies of the young men that were, that were giving this morning, saved when they're five years old, saved when they're six years old, saved when they're 10 years old or 12 years old. But the thing is, is that yes, we're saved, but our minds are still the same. Our minds are still the same. Our spirit is saved and we're going to heaven when we die. But our mind still thinks the same way. And so now that Jesus is our savior, yes, we're saved. But when we feel the tug of that temptation, we still think I'm caught. There's nothing I can do. I have to do this because I've always done this. So how do we get victory? We can prepare like that Atlantic wall story. We can think I can do all this work and I can try all these things. But then when I finally get tempted, I just kind of, it just crumbles. I don't even last an hour. Sometimes we try to explain it in psychological terms. Sometimes we try to explain it in terms that perhaps a therapist would use. But the fact of the matter is, is that we still fall. So how do we take the victory that Jesus has given us and how do we use it for ourselves? How does it actually, how do we actually come to realize, hey, this isn't a giant chain. This chain has been broken and I am free from this. I'm free. We have to realize the battleground is for our mind. Romans 6. Romans 6 and verse 7. We have to believe. We have to believe that what God says about us is true. Not what we feel or not what our past says or not what our brains tell us because our brains are not always right, but this is always right. Amen, pastor. That's good preaching right there. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. That's good. Romans 6 and verse number 7. For he that is dead is free from sin. Okay. If somebody has died, they no longer have to worry about sinning. Is that true? Okay, that's true. Well, here's the thing. Jesus died. After his death, he didn't have to struggle with sin anymore. Before that, he struggled against sin just like you and I, except because he was God's son, he was completely innocent of any sin. He never one time sinned with his mouth, with with his thoughts, right? With his hand, he never one time sinned. He struggled against it, but then he died. In his death and in his resurrection, won the victory. When he came back as the resurrected Christ, he wasn't struggling against sin anymore. He had a resurrected body. This victory that he lives in right now, this passage teaches us, he has given us this same victory to us. He fought the battle against sin on the cross and the blood of Christ was shed for us. He rose from the dead And just like soldiers in a a physical battle would go out and fight the battle and win the battle, 
and then come back to the citizens of the country and say, the battle is finished. The war is over. The battle is won. Those citizens may have suffered back in the town, but they didn't actually go out there on the battlefield and fight the battle. It was the soldiers that did that, right? The same way that Jesus, when he fought against the sin that you're struggling with, that we struggle with, the temptations, he won that battle. And that's why it says in verse number 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need to, the first point is this, we need to realize that the battleground is in our mind. Number two, we need to realize the the war has been won and Jesus has given us that victory. Right? Okay. Now, when we're talking about take every thought captive, let's focus on this in the time remaining. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Meaning this, this jacket is like super thick wool. So I'm going to slip this off. Let's just be really clear. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Carnal does not mean sinful. It means visible. Right? So that means... You say, well, pastor, why don't Baptist churches, why don't we have crucifixes? Why don't we have prayer beads? Why don't we have candles that we light? Why don't we have special necklaces that we wear that protect us from evil? Right? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The reason why you're not having victory is not because you don't have a special necklace. Are we okay? Does that make sense? Okay, Uh, well, I've noticed some of these other religions and they wear like super religious outfits all the time. Pick a religion, doesn't matter which one. A lot of religions have special religious outfits that they wear. Maybe the reason that 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 we're continuing to struggle is because we don't have an outfit. Pastor, we need outfits. We need some special, super powerful, superhero Christian clothes. And when I wear my superhero clothes, then I'll be okay. Hmm? How about that? I know that church, Sparrow Baptist, doesn't even have a church building that looks like a church. That's why I'm struggling with this sin. God's not hearing my prayers because they're not a, and we've been told this, real church. Well, the thing is, Christ died for the church. Realize churches didn't meet in buildings for hundreds of years. So when Jesus died for the church, he really didn't die for the church because, you know, they didn't have buildings back then. So it wasn't really a church. No, 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 that's not true at all. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have a steeple. God can't hear my prayers. They don't even have a steeple. Don't you know the steeple funnels the prayers up to heaven? No, that's not true at all. What about crosses? Where's the cross? Pastor, you need to wear one of those big robes. This friend, I'm not wearing a robe. I'm sorry. Are we okay? Does that make sense? I know it's because I ate pork. I ate pork and that's why I fell to temptation. Pastor, why are you bringing all this stuff up? Because it's so important for us to realize that we don't get victory by borrowing the beliefs of other religions. 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. What's the stronghold? Stronghold's the lie that you've been telling yourself. It can be anything from, I'll never get victory over that, to, well, maybe it's not so bad. Everybody else seems to be doing it. I'm just going to keep telling myself that it's okay. Yeah, but it doesn't work, does it? No, because you try to pray and God seems so far away. You meet another Christian, you feel guilty, but then you want to blame them. It's not their problem. It's something going on in your heart. And so on and so forth. We need to identify the lie that, God, uh, that, 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 that Satan is telling us about this situation. What is the lie? What is the lie that he's saying? Is it a lie from your background? Is it a lie that's saying it's okay? Is it a lie you'll always be this way? Is it a lie something like you deserve this? Is it something like that? We need to identify the lie and then go back to what God says as the truth and say, I'm going to use this truth because that truth is not carnal, but it's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Identify the lie. We fight this battle with the spiritual weapons of the word of God and prayer. But these things only work if we allow God to change our thoughts about that situation. Meaning, if I still think the lie, listen very closely, if I still think the lie is true and I don't identify the verse that says the lie is not true, it doesn't matter if I pray about it. I deserve this. God, please help me to have victory. I deserve this. God, please help me to have victory. I deserve this. God, please. Well, which one's true? You don't deserve this. He's Look, either Jesus has given you the victory or he hasn't. It has to be one or the other. It has to be one or the other. Well, God says he has given us the victory. Okay, question. Did Jesus die on the cross? Yes or no? Okay. Did he rise from the grave? Yes or no? Has he given us the victory? Yes or no? Yes. So how do I get the victory that's out there somewhere into here? I have to take every thought captive. I fall into temptation because I just kind of like, you know, take a day off from my thoughts. Or I don't realize, no, I need, to be, I need to be cautious about the thoughts that are coming through. And if there's a lie, then I've got to capture it and say, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. No, I've got a puppy. We got a new puppy. Puppies are so cute. You know when they say, man, they're following that person around like a puppy dog. You know puppies follow you around? You know when you open the front door, you have to know where the puppy is. You're trying to leave and go out and you open the front door and he's so small. And you can't hear him. And when you open the front door, the other day, it was early in the morning. I open the front door and I'm going out to my car and I see this little tiny little movement down on the ground. And I'm like, where, what? Where did you come from? 
And he's wagging his tail thinking, hey, we're going somewhere. This is great. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have to be like that with our thoughts. We can't just let thoughts come through. Some of us think I can't control my thoughts. If he said, take your thoughts captive, then you can. So which one's true? I can't control my thoughts, but God says you can. So that means he's right and I'm wrong if that's what I think. Is that true? God's right, not me. I'm only right when I agree with what God says. So I have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's why I need to read the word of God. It's not enough for us just to read it together on Sundays. We need to read it for ourselves. We need to have it inside of our brains. We need to cry out to God in prayer. That was the sermon from two, last week and the week before. <clears throat> we need to use the four second rule. Now this is just a technique. It's not something technically from scripture, but it's just an idea that might work for you. The four second rule. Four second rule is something where if a thought comes into your mind, we need to, listen, we need to, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us within four seconds if that's good or bad. The way I'm thinking about someone else. The way I'm thinking about me. The way I'm thinking about God. Amen. And we need to, leave, we need to allow God to say within four seconds, yes or no. Yes or no. And if it's sinful, then in that moment, we need to cry out to God. God, I need your help. Please help me not to think that way. Because if I have thoughts and I allow the thoughts to stay in there. You guys, the, the other day when we had the chicken noodle soup, I came home. Before I opened the front door, I could smell it. I'm... I'm reaching for the door handle. I haven't even opened the front door yet. Before I open the front door, I can smell chicken noodle soup. Why? Well, because it's cooking in the house. And it had been cooking for a little while. And so now, before I was even inside the structure, I'm smelling it from the outside. Guys, that's like our thoughts. If we allow our thoughts to simmer and think and think and think, it becomes, listen, it begins to shape our desires. You know why some of you struggle so much with lustful thoughts and lustful desires? Because you think about it all the time. Why would a Christian indulge in lustful content? Say, well, it's not porn. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't have to be pornographic. It can just be something that, especially if you're sensitive to this, it can just be something that pushes you that direction. 
It's like walking next to a swimming pool and your friend goes bump and you just splash. There you are. Why do I always struggle with this? Because you're always putting that content in your brain. And we come up with the silliest excuses of why we watch what we watch sometimes. Well, everybody at work is going to ask why I didn't watch the latest episode. Who cares what they think about at work? If it's cooking in our brain, it's going to shape our desires. And once it shapes our desires, it will shape our actions. We do things because we're thinking about it. It shapes our actions. And if we will do that and that's our action, our actions become our habits and our habits become our destiny. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we are to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our thought life is the essence of our spiritual battle. In fact, if we let our thoughts, thoughts go, we have more often than not lost the battle. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.